right, welcome to Hobby Time with Dirk Nashti. My name is Keith. I go by Dirk Nashti on Twitter and Discord, and I started this podcast basically just to get out of my comfort zone, learn something new, which is podcasting, and just get some of my thoughts and research, etc., out of my head on some of the hobbies that I enjoy participating in. Often that's basketball cards. Most of my episodes have been about basketball cards. But today's podcast is all about what's becoming one of my favorite hobbies, and that's the Solana NFT-focused basketball game, the Virtual Basketball Association, or VBA. I'd love to hear your feedback, and as always, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Dirk Nashti, or you can email DirkNashtyPod at gmail.com, and for the VBA folks, I'm in the Discord as Dirk Nashti. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you, and I promise I'll get back to you. Thank you. All right, so VBA game. I've talked about VBA several times in uh, kind of my conclusions of the last several episodes. It's one of the things I've been spending probably more more time on than cards, than uh, than really anything from a hobby perspective. <clears throat> and if you go back and listen, episode three was all about VBA, but that was back in May. We we didn't even know we had just started opening packs. We didn't even know what player play styles there were, what archetypes there were. So I wanted to give an update. We've been playing now for, we're in the middle of our 10th week and kind of share a little bit about what, what it is, what I've learned, how I think about putting together teams and and uh, and how I deal with, you know, a, re- a fairly limited budget. I mean, maybe, prob- com- especially compared to some of the bigger players, like I'm certainly not able to go out and just buy any, uh, you know, rare or elite that hits the market that I that I want. There are several that I've seen that I that I missed, but Anyway, I thought I'd talk through it a little bit today. So I'll just kick it off, though, first with an intro uh, for anyone who is not familiar with it. VBA, Virtual Basketball Association. You can visit their site at vbagame.com. Um, <clears throat> to play it, it's, it's a simulation game. You own NFTs or cards of players that have different uh, play types, different positions, and different rarities. And you put together a team of five and you play against someone else's team of five. So it's a peer-to-peer uh, game. You can, you can, play, you can uh, play in a league for free. You do have to buy the players or a pack, which has players. Uh, seven players in it is the, the most per pack. <clears throat> so to buy into VBA game, you need a few things. First... You need Sol, which is the the cryptocurrency for the Solana blockchain. You need a Solana wallet. You need five players. You can get those through uh, the secondary market. Most of that is most of that is is housed on Magic Eden. There are some on OpenSea and other and other markets, but mostly it's Magic Eden. And you need an account at VBAGame.com and to connect your wallet to that account. So once you do that, you can start getting into games. When you start, there's four different divisions, uh, a competitive, intermediate, recreational, and placement. Now, the placement division is where, you st- is where you start when you have a brand new, fresh team. So you play one week in placement. You, uh, Based on your performance in that week, you get assigned to one of the other divisions. And essentially, this is to ensure that Everybody, basically, everybody is kind of matched up with other teams that are roughly similar to theirs and that they should have a chance to compete and to, to win. So a week runs, I mean, yeah, a week in the season runs seven days. And currently it's two games per day uh, across the seven days. So you're in a, a team, I mean, a league with eight teams. And you play basically a double round robin. So two games a day, each team twice. At the end of the week, we see who wins. <clears throat> this is the second week they have what an optional paid league where you can pay up uh, pay zero point five five soul. You pay that up front, and then the top four in your in your league of eight win one soul. So essentially, you know, almost double up if you if you make it in the top half. As weeks go by, based on your record, the teams that you beat and their record and their score, team score, team rating, and the teams that that beat you and their score and team rating, and maybe a few other hidden factors, like you get your own uh, team rating or team score, 
and like I said, are generally entered with teams of similar scores. And once you get to a certain level, you can move up in division. So let's say you start in placement and then you get put into intermediate. You can you can move up to competitive. And there's a reason you want to try to move up if you if that's uh, there's a reason to be motivated to move up, and that is dimes. So. When you finish your league each week, you receive something called Dimes. Dimes is uh, the VBA's kind of in-house reward system or currency. And so far, they've been automatically entered into Drawings for Soul. So every dime that you um, win, that everybody in the game wins, was automatically entered into a soul. So you were wiped out every, every week. Um, but now they're currently building out what they're calling the box office, which will allow you to choose how you spend or use your dimes. So that includes potentially soul raffles. They've also talked about uh, including players or packs or even merch and stuff like that. So those are some kind of some basics of, about it. I've been playing for 10 weeks. I've had a, uh, right now I'm currently managing two teams. And... One of the things that was interesting about it is we really don't, unlike, like, let's say you played NBA 2K. You can go and see um, see your players' ratings across all of these different attributes, right? Shooting and inside scoring and inside defense and, you know, passing, ball handling, like all of that stuff. You really don't, don't get that information up front from, from VBA. Essentially, all you know about your players are the rarity, their position or per- preferred positions and the archetypes. And I'll talk a lot more about archetypes uh, in a second when I start breaking down the different players and, and everything. But that, that's about it. There's another, um, another attribute that we know up front, which is seasons played. Um, we know that all the players that started, at least in the initial drop, had between zero and nine seasons played. Right now, there's no progression in players, but it's something they're working on building out, including potentially retiring player or players retiring or um, regressing after a certain number of years. We haven't gotten much more information about that. It sounds like it's not something that's uh, at least immediately on the horizon. Uh, maybe once they get to season one, right now we're in season zero. It's kind of a, not a trial. I mean, it's definitely real, but Anyway, so that's about all we know about the players. So far, there's been some some studies by some of the the community people, community folks um, that show that at least at the moment, you know, seasons played really doesn't have that much of a an impact on the player's performance itself. So you know, a a random season zero, you know, player of a certain rarity and a certain archetype is essentially just as likely to be good or or not good as a as a player that's got nine seasons played so far. So with that said, okay, there's 15 different archetypes. All right, so in, in VBA game, there are 15 player archetypes. So any your players, all of your players, will fall into one of these archetypes. There are essentially five guard archetypes, five wing ar- archetypes, and five big archetypes. Now, this, this can vary some where a, uh, like there's a one called Playmaking Big. Sometimes those guys are eligible at the small forward position, for instance. Uh, and sometimes a defensive guard is eligible also at small forward. So some, th- there can be some overlap, right, in terms of guard, wing, big. And you can play your players at any position. There's just a, a, a penalty applied to, uh, for playing them out of position. So among the 15 different archetypes, every single one also has five different rarities. Underdog, special, rare, elite, and legendary. Um, The underdogs are the most prevalent um, and cost the least for the most part, uh, at least within within its own archetype. So an underdog defensive guard will most likely cost less than a special uh, defensive guard and so on. So starting with the... I, what I want to do is break down the different archetypes, uh, what I see from the data that, that I'm looking at, kind of give a comparison to NBA uh, players, just for for anyone that that might be interested, at least in the way that I'm thinking about them. Uh, not just in terms of the title, but also, you know, I've got a big page where I'm looking at all their stats. 
Uh, and there's some, some interesting stuff in here. So starting with the guards, we got scoring guard is, is one of the, the types. And for me, like the, the comp is something, something like an early DeMar DeRozan, right? Where he doesn't, they don't really shoot threes. I mean, they shoot some, but they don't shoot them super effectively. Um, but they do score inside and from the mid range pretty well. Then we've got pure shooters. Uh, pure shooters, uh, my, my NBA comp is something like maybe Buddy Heald, where a large percentage of their um, shots, about 50% of all their, of all their shots are from, are from three. And uh, they, where they shoot it pretty well. I think, in, at least with the data that I've got, it's something like 49% on the whole. And I'm sorry if you hear the rain behind me, but it's raining. <laughs> Um, but they do not shoot twos very well. So their their two-point percentage is 36%. So they're actually far, far better shooting threes than twos, uh, which might be something that we'll see uh, patched up here in, the, here in the future. We've also got shooting playmakers. This is probably more like your, your Steph Currys, right? The, the guys that are, they're also very efficient from three. Maybe Steph isn't a great comp because they don't, they don't shoot nearly as many threes as Steph, who shoots like 10 or 11 a game. Um, but they shoot it very, very well, and they score efficiently from two and from three. Now, we've also got two other types that are, that are not offensive-focused, or at least not scoring-focused. One is defensive guard, and I think of that as... There, there's, really, there's really not a great comp, I don't think, like in the NBA. Uh, may, maybe it would be like uh, Matisse Thibel. I know Thibel is more of a wing, uh, but he's not a, he's not a very good score really from anywhere um but also defensive guards defense has been somewhat less effective and i'll talk a little bit about defense but it's really difficult there's not there's not much data that we can get uh related to related to defensive performance or at least i found it very difficult and then we've got a pass first guard so and that's more like your Jason kids. They, they're also not efficient score, like early Jason kid, where he was not a, he scored a lot, but was not a very efficient scorer, but definitely a good distributor. Once I go through the archetypes, I'll go and talk about like those that are the best at different things and when I, when I choose to employ them. So then moving on to wings, we'll start with slashers who, this is something someone like maybe a Miles Bridges, right? They they shoot threes not particularly efficiently, although some some can, uh, but as a whole, it's around thirty percent, twenty nine, thirty percent from three. So you really don't want them shooting too many threes, but they shoot it very very well from two. So they get to the they get to the rim, uh, and and they score. So fifty four percent from two, twenty nine percent from three. Then we've got point forwards. Point forwards. Uh, you know, I was looking at stats. I, I think this is probably actually closest to maybe like Chris Middleton. You can you can run your team uh, with a pro, with your a point forward being the only like primary distributor. Uh, but really, they're valuable for a few reasons. One, they shoot it pretty efficiently. They're not great from three, but they don't take a huge volume from three either. Uh, but in general, they score pretty efficiently. They rebound and they assist. There's only one other archetype that really does does. Actually, actually, there's no other archetypes that really do all three of those things well. Um, but there's a couple that both rebound and assist, and I'll, we'll get to those here in, here in a minute. Then we've got three and D wings. Um, this is somewhere along the lines of like maybe Danny Green or Robert Covington. Um, they are also very inefficient. They're they're not even good three point shooters, which is really kind of kind of the difficulty with them. Although they, there was a patch recently, and they are definitely better. I just don't have the ability to split time in, in the data that I've got. Um, so I'm still got some old, not old, but earlier data from the game. But they can be good defenders, especially on got, uh, like stretch bigs, which I haven't gotten to. But wings and bigs that shoot threes uh, and shoot from the outside pretty well. Then uh, the final archetype that I have grouped in the wing category is a versatile forward. These guys have been kind of all over the place in terms of effectiveness and usage. I mean, they're still very effective and they're required for, for an interior defense bonus, which I will talk about uh, a little bit later as well. But essentially, they also um, started off being big time, great defenders and rebound and assist. They're just 
very inefficient scoring. There's a there's kind of a bonus built in there though, which is that they have extremely low usage. So their inefficient scoring is is definitely made up for by the other things that they do, um, playing great defense, especially on interior scorers, and assisting and rebounding. They've been assisting less a little bit since the one of the one of the more recent patches. But those are the five wing types, and that that's more of like your Draymond Green types, right? Not not great scorers, pretty low usage, but does everything else on the court uh, really well. Then we've got the bigs. So post scoring big is. I, I see this as someone like maybe Enos Freedom, uh, potentially Jonas Valanciunas, someone like that. When they're when they play, and there's no bench right now, so your starting five plays all game. So uh, you know, Enos Cantor, Enos Freedom, is an, a great rebounder and a very good scorer. He's just a, a terrible, terrible defender. I don't think post scoring bigs are quite that terrible uh, defensively. But they definitely have very high utilization. They are the highest scorers in total, uh, at least from a points-per-game perspective in the game. And they're also one of the best rebounding archetypes there is. We also have fundamental big. In, in today's game, I think that's probably someone like maybe DeAndre Ayton. And, and, you know, history, maybe that's someone like Tim Duncan, where they just have a pretty solid all-around game. You know, Aiden doesn't really shoot threes, uh, like at least like a lot of people thought he would when he came out. I mean, he, he shoots them some, but, you know, fundamental bigs in this game don't don't really take threes. They rebound pretty well. They score effectively from two. Uh, they're not the worst three-point sh- uh, free throw shooters. There are, or at least there are worse three-point uh, free throw shooters. Then we've got stretch bigs, and I think of this as, as like your... All-star, all-star version of Kevin Love. So extremely efficient three-point shooters. They're also good from two. They're pretty good rebounders. Um, and they're even decent shot blockers. So stretch bigs are, are, are nice to have. I, I've had some good success with those, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we've got playmaking big. And I think this, this, this one is one of the ones that is really, really tough to comp in real life. Like, you would go to someone like Nikola Jokic, for instance, because they're one of, they're one of the two archetypes that are extremely high assist um, types in the game, but they're also incredibly inefficient shooters. So and not, not only that, of, of all of the really bad shooting archetypes, they have the highest usage as well. So not, uh, not great from a scoring perspective and can be detrimental to your team if, if, you're, if they're not employed correctly or not not used with the right um, goodness it's pouring not used with the right players and finally rim protectors so this is like your Rudy Gobert um, but also are the least effective scorers in the entire game like you do not want these guys taking shots Gobert normally has pretty high field goal percentage because he's essentially you know scoring on follows and catching lobs so not, not, not a great comp there either, but uh, they're the best rebounding archetype. They, they get the most blocks, and they're required for the interior defense bonus. Since I've already talked about it twice, I'll just hit that real quick. Right now, there are uh, one, two, three, four, five specifically defensive archetypes. There is defensive guards, 3 and D wings, versatile forwards, and rim protectors. Um, at least initially in the game, in, interior scoring players were the most used and most effective uh, scorers. So one of the things that they implemented uh, was what they called the interior defense bonuses. And essentially this is if you play a rim protector with a versatile forward, there's a, a bonus applied to your team or, or a penalty given to the other team, your opponent where they shoot twos um, less effectively, and you can counter that with volume and efficient three-point shooting. So those are the 15-player archetypes. I want to talk about some of the stats that, uh, that we've got from, from those players. In terms of raw points per game, <clears throat> it's pretty clear there's really two, two at the top, and those are post-scoring bigs and slashers. Now, <clears throat> I'll get to... Well, actually, I'll talk about it now. So the thing about post-scoring bigs, they... 
So I have a, I calculate possessions used uh, per game, and they have by far the highest the highest usage rate in in the game. The, but the problem with that is they're only middling uh, in terms of efficiency, and that's true. And I use true shooting for efficiency, and I include I, I like true shooting for this purpose at least for for kind of drawing some big conclusion or big round you know uh, simple conclusions. Because going to the free throw line is, is an important part of the game. And these guys do it far more. They, they get far more free throw attempts per game than any other archetype. And they are the worst three point, uh, free throw. I cannot say free throw. The worst free throw shooting archetype in the entire game. Their entire average uh, throughout the history of the game so far is 43%. So, so this is like, I don't know, shack level bad free throw shooters and they go to the line a lot. So, um, and the other thing too, is they're not actually that effective. Even from two, they have a 48%, um, two point percentage. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, six archetypes. So they're the seventh out of 15 archetypes in two point percentage, the worst out of 15 in free throw percentage and do not shoot threes. So from a, from an efficiency standpoint, I mean, I, I got them calculated at 0.83 points per possession which is not great, especially for a player that is using uh, a, sig a significant number of possessions. So especially if you're new or something, this is one thing you might work, uh, watch out for. Like I, I don't really use a post-scoring big on either of my teams or on any of my teams. They can be effective um, if, you, if they're deployed right, but I think in general, I, I, in my head at least, I have them as more situational. The... Next highest scoring archetype in that kind of top tier in terms of points per game is slashers. Slashers are a little different from post scoring bigs. One, they can be eligible all the way from uh, the point guard position to the power forward position. So either point guard or one and two, two, two and three, three, three and four. And like I mentioned, they do shoot at least some threes, not, not particularly efficiently, uh, but it's only at least in total, they average about four, four a game, um, but score from two pretty efficiently. So 54% from two, that's the second highest two point percentage, uh, of all archetypes in the game. They're not, they're not, uh, they're, they're decent free throw shooters, at least for the game, like the entire, the entire, for all players, the average free throw percentage is like 60%. So there's a lot of missed free throws in this game. And these guys shoot 66% to make their position their possessions at 23.2 a game and true shooting right around 54%. So there's two, two archetypes that are really, really high in, in, in true shooting and they're right in that next bucket with strong, uh, with strong usage, high usage. So slashers can be used really effectively. You just need to watch out for the interior defense bonus because they don't shoot threes very well. You don't really want them shooting that many threes and they can, they can get stopped by like say a versatile forward or a team playing with the interior defense bonus. Now the, there's another group of players in terms of points per game that's, that's a lot bigger. So I'll break that down a, a little differently and look at true shooting. So, <clears throat> or actually I'll, I'll look at usage. So those are the top two uh, in terms of usage, post-scoring bigs and slashers. But moving on, we've got scoring guard, pure shooter and fundamental bigs in the next tier of usage on the team. All of them, well, so scoring guards in general are about 51% true shooting, where pure shooters and fundamental bigs are around 53, 54% true shooting. It's not that big of a difference. You can find really good scoring guards. I've got two. Um, and it's, it's, they're useful for sure. Definitely they can be employed uh, effectively. So, one of the things that makes scoring guards effective, though, is that they they are not great from two, 48, 48%, not great from three, 30%, but they're very good from the free throw line, about 79%. It's actually the highest uh, percentage, at least in the data that I've got, of any archetype. They don't get to the line a ton, uh, but they get to the line enough for it to make a difference. And, uh, you know, 51% true shooting is not the greatest, it's the seventh, but it's not so bad that, uh, that it's gonna hurt you. 
Then we've also got pure shooters. So I mentioned earlier, pure shooters are terrible two-point shooters, but really great three-point shooters. This is uh, 100% true. Right now, 36% from two, 49% from three, and 79% from the free throw line. So it's the three-point and free throw line, uh, free throw shooting that puts them in, in with a true shooting of 53%. And... Uh, 0.93 points per, per possession. They also, they shoot the highest volume of three-pointers too. Their three-point attempt rate, three-point attempt rate is 42.1%. It's not quite the highest. There's two other, uh, there's two other play to, uh, archetypes that have a 42% three-point attempt rate, but they also just take a higher volume of shots in general, including twos. Therefore, they're, they take the highest volume of three-point attempts as well. Then finally, fundamental bigs. So I mentioned fundamental bigs. This is like your kind of your Tim Duncan types, maybe less defense than Duncan, but um, but pretty good, pretty solid all the way around, uh, mostly scoring from the paint. So no, no three-point shooting, but solid from two, 58 53%, 55% from the free throw line. The, uh, one of the things to watch out for, at least in terms of turnovers per possession used, uh, is actually one of the highest one of the highest turnover rates in the game next to 3 and D wings which is interesting cuz they have very low usage but fundamental bigs my best player in all of my teams is a fundamental big uh, and he's he's very good he averages like 27 and 14 a game 27 and 13 a game something like that then after that you've got the next the next two archetypes are the true shooting kings so we've got shooting playmaker and and uh, stretch big so the things that the thing that makes both of these archetypes so useful is one they shoot it well from two, both of them around fifty percent. They also shoot it well from three, about forty six percent. They take about forty percent of their shots from three, so they're getting good volume, uh, both good volume from three, shooting it really effectively, and also scoring effectively enough from two, uh, and both uh, shoot free throws at about a sixty five percent clip. So their shooting profile is actually very, very similar. Stretch bigs, you know, obviously you're going to rebound more. Shooting playmakers, even though playmakers in their title, it is self-playmakers, right? Self-creators. Um, they can definitely benefit from assist archetypes, but right now are, are really not averaging that many assists. I'll go through stat by stat and run it down again. But... In terms of points per possession, they're over one point per, per possession, which is about 10% better. Bo both of these archetypes, which is about 10% better than any other archetype uh, in the game. Next, at least from an off, and all of this is offensive. Like I said, I don't, I don't have any defensive stats, nothing, at least nothing useful. So um, I'm talking almost all, strictly offense. Next, we've got two other archetypes that also have very similar shooting profiles. So point forward and offensive wings. In terms of Usage, right? They, they use about 16 possessions per game. In terms of two-point shooting, point forwards are, are pretty significantly better. They're actually the most efficient two-point shooters in the game at 56%. Part of that is because they have pretty low, kind of middle usage. So if they're normally not overextended, they also pass pretty well. So they're not likely to go and put up, you know, 30 shots in a game or, or anything like that. Uh, and they score pretty well from two. Both both of these archetypes shoot it at thirty percent from three and take about a third of their shots from from three. The thing that puts offensive wings at least within striking distance uh, from a true shooting perspective is they are seventy eight percent, seventy nine percent free throw shooters, where point forwards are only fifty six percent. But in terms of field goals attempted, field goals uh, made, three pointers attempted, three pointers made, free throws attempted. Not so much free throws made, but in general, like it's pretty, pretty close um, group to group or group to group point forward to, to offensive wing. Then we move into the non the, the more non scoring archetypes. So there's actually six of them. I mentioned four, four of them are defensive and two of them are playmakers, right? Ass assist men. First, we've got playmaking bigs. So playmaking bigs uh, take 15, uh, use 15 possessions a game. It's a little bit less than average, 
but it's it's the highest of these other types, but only have a 38% true shooting percentage for a, a points per possession of 0.68, so not great. Uh, the good news, though, is they also have the lowest turnover rate, uh, and that's per possession, so not just turnovers per game, but per possession, they have the lowest uh, turnover rate. They shoot free throws pretty decently, you know, 60, 64%. Um, but are terrible from two at 33% and not great from three where they take a few three-pointers. It is nice when they when they hit a three. Um, but the other thing that they do decently well is rebound, although they are, they're actually the sixth best rebounding archetype, at least from a, from a per-game perspective. Um, then defensive guards, I talked a little bit about those already. Terrible two-point, not great three-point shooters either. Bad uh, free throw shooters, high turnovers, uh, just not really very useful. Like there, there are times when I've seen them uh, deployed effectively, but for the most part, they're not that useful at the moment uh, in the game. Then we've got pass first guards. Pass first guards, also bad two-point shooters, uh, 35%. Not great three-point shooters, but a little bit better. Not, not, it won't kill you, kill you. Uh, they're at 29% from three, but on pretty low volume. Um, decent free throw shooters and a pretty low turnover rate as well. The thing that makes them interesting, so the thing that makes them interesting, like when you compare it to playmaking bigs, is they take fewer possessions, shoot it a little bit more efficiently, uh, but they also you know don't really get rebounds like your playmaking big will. Uh, they're essentially there strictly for uh, assisting. Now, some of this can change, especially at the highest levels where you've got, you know, elite and legendary pass first guards or, um, you know, versatile forwards or whatever. And they, they can definitely like break the mold. It's not like every single player follows this to a T, but in general, um, this is the way it shakes out. Then the last three archetypes, three and D wing, versatile forward, rim protector, very low, very low usage. Uh, three and D wings actually do make threes, uh, especially now they're making more and more. And so from a efficiency perspective, they're a little bit better than versatile forwards and rim protectors. Uh, the thing is, you don't get any kind of defensive bonus for playing them. So it's strictly man-on-man uh, with the three and D wings. So that's a, a quick breakdown of the archetypes. Now, when you, when you look at, there are some, some archetypes that do a few things very, very well. And I'm just, I'll just run down from a stat perspective now. So like looking at, I already talked about points per game. I talked about efficient shooting, right? So I'm not going to talk about like in, in usage. But there are really essentially three good three-point shooting archetypes. That's it. Like three solid three-point shooting archetypes. They're pure shooter, stretch big, shooting playmakers. If you're playing against a team with interior defense, you need at least one of those guys. Uh, three and D wings also can be used effectively against interior defense, but... They generally have very low utilization uh, and are just and, and less effective than these other, these other archetypes in terms of scoring. So that's it. There, there are others that shoot threes. Like I mentioned, slashers shoot threes, point forward shoot threes, offensive wing shoot threes. Uh, and they do it okay, right? About, about 30%. But there's only three that actually make it at a pretty good clip. Pure shooters, stretch bigs, shooting playmakers, that's it. But somewhere between 46 and 49% on the whole. Getting to the free throw line is, like I mentioned, an important aspect. And being good at the free throw line is actually also important. I think it's one that people often overlook uh, and have found... I wouldn't go and like search out specifically good free throw shooters. Uh, but in general, I think there there is some edge to be had... Um, by winning winning the free throw battle <clears throat> a little a little I don't want I'm really don't want to overstate that but I, it's it's out there post scoring bigs I mentioned get to the free throw line by far the most it's not even close 7.3 attempts a game the, the, a game the next is 4.8 attempts per game so a, a huge huge difference in terms of free throw shooting free throw uh, getting to the free throw line fundamental bigs slashers and even scoring guards, to some extent, get to the free throw line a decent amount. But in terms of percentage, there's only three archetypes that really excel in free throw percentage as well. And those are scoring guard, 
pure shooter, and offensive wings. I, I think it's interesting that two of the good shooting archetypes, like stretch big and shooting playmakers, are really, I mean, they're fine on uh, at the free throw line, but they're really not that great. It's okay because they don't get to the line that much anyway, but uh, I would expect those guys to be at least a little bit better. Rebounds. So rebounding is important. <clears throat> and it, I've definitely had teams that I thought were aligned pretty, pretty well and just got crushed on on the rebounding battle. I wish we had a way to split offense and defensive rebounds. I think some of the community members who are developers and are working on breaking down uh, some of the data that, that we've got have been looking at, at ways into doing this. But essentially, there are a few different archetypes that rebound uh, pretty well. Post-scoring bigs, I mentioned, and rim protectors are at the top in terms of rebounds per game, uh, right around 14 or 15. So very, very high uh, rebounding. Fundamental bigs and stretch bigs are next, uh, around 12 to 12 and a half. Then you've got a few that are kind of around the 10, the 10 rebounds per game range. That's playmaking bigs, 3 and D wings, and versatile forwards. And then you can even make up for it some with other with other archetypes too, like slashers, for instance, around six rebounds per game. Scoring guards, pure shooters, about five rebounds per game. Um, point forwards and offensive wings, seven to eight. And defensive guards even rebound pretty well also. So there's no one that, that's only pulling down, like no, arch- no one archetype that's only pulling down, say, one or two rebounds per game. There's like a very, very high. There's a kind of a middle high. And then... A middle and then everybody else. Now assists is an interesting one too. So what so far what we've seen is there are a few archetypes that are good three-point shooters. There are a few archetypes that are good free throw shooters. There are also only a few archetypes that are big time assist men. And those those two big ones are playmaking bigs and pass first guards. So those that's up around 13 or 14 assists per game where versatile forwards and point forwards are around seven. <clears throat> Now, I think the versatile forward assist number totals are actually coming down uh, from the most recent nerf. Again, this is all all in data across all of VBA games. So I can't go back to, you know, when they entered the or when they patched the bug or whatever and break it down again. Assists, I mean, um, so that's assists. Everybody else is less than two. Like no other archetype, including shooting playmaker, including def- uh, defensive guards, uh, even get more than two assists per game. Steals, blocks, steals are pretty, there's really not that much different. So the lowest is playmaking um, stretch bigs at 1.1. The highest is defensive guards at 1.5. So I don't see, I think the benefit in defensive players is really more about shooting, shooting, percentage allowed or you know efficiency allowed and not not so much like steals and blocks although there definitely can be like big steal and big block games um blocks is a little different i mean most of your big archetypes are getting one and a half um to 1.9 or so or at least and then even most of the wings are around one to 1.2 and and most guard archetypes are about half per game so that's kind of the way we, we break it down. One of the things, you know, it's it's useful to have a well-rounded team, teams that can score from the inside and outside, teams that uh, can defend, teams that can rebound, teams that shoot the three, teams that shoot the two. Like you, you if you can, you try to work it all in there. Um, you definitely, and in my opinion, you definitely want, and I'm not, this is not like a one-size-fits-all, it's been... It's, I have to say that's actually been one of the great, the best things about VBA as a whole. Like there is no one size fits all. Um, there is no, in general, there's no meta. You'll definitely see trends in terms of some of the teams that perform the best. Uh, but there is not a single strategy, at least at, at the moment, that is kind of a guaranteed win. Um, but I would certainly recommend having at least. Actually, you know what? Let me let me stop and talk about my. Um, my strategy to putting together a team. Before I talk about my team and my strategy and the way I, I think about setting up for games and, and all of that stuff, I want to first take a few minutes to shout out some of the, the, the people and the resources that I have found to be invaluable across VBA. 
one of the one of the best things about VBA itself is the community. So there, it's got a really strong Discord community. It's uh, always lively and active. They've got games and contests, um, and it's it's a lot of fun just to get in there and chat. But even if you don't, there's a, the, the, one of the coolest things about it is there has been multiple people who have created um, either sites that we can use or resources um, or host podcasts and and other shows that are surely better than mine, but um, <laughs> it's been it's been great. It's an incredible community, and I want to want to call a couple of those out real quick. First, uh, user MJ Young created a an app for us to see stats and things like all time player records and stuff like that, like things that aren't available on the VBA site at least at the moment. And it's been as someone who really enjoys like kind of getting in there and looking at stats, and I, I love all time records and stuff. I've got a couple of guys on the you know top ten leaderboards for assists and points, um, and it's it's been great. So I I love that side. Uh, he did a great job. Also Saul Berenson, user you know user Saul S O L, which is uh, Homeland and uh, Solana uh, matchup, created a a site to view the listings on Magic Eden, which is great because the player archetypes are not available um, on Magic Eden. So you, you can see the players, you can see their rarity, but you cannot see their archetype, like what 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 style player they are. Um, his site or their site allows you to do this and also has a a link out both to Magic Eden to buy the to buy the player if you see a listing that you like, and out to VBA to actually look at the player and you know check out his game log and all all, all that stuff. So that's been a great side, something I use when I'm pricing my my player. So I have bought and sold some, uh, not a lot, I'm not not as active as some other users, but definitely I've done it some, and I use I use that side all the time, especially when I'm pricing, but also when I'm looking for um, looking for a certain player or a certain rarity, etc. Great sign. Hoop Loop was created by the user Digital QI. Uh, this is good for a, a couple of a couple of reasons as well, or I use it for a couple of reasons, but mainly it's to basically compare potential matchups between your your opponents. So you get their their team ID and your team ID. You put them together, um, and then you can start messing around with your lineup and their lineup and see how they kind of match up. It's been a really cool tool for that. Um, also has a, like a game summary, so you can go and check out a, a certain game, and it'll summarize it for you and give you stats and let you know sort of you know where either where you got beat or where you were strong uh, that game. And it's a really cool site. Uh, Digital QI did a great job with that. MJ Gaming also has a marketplace uh, analysis site. Now this one is is really cool because it brings stats into the equation, so you can actually see like of all the players that are out in the market, you know, compare them. In a in tabular form, right in a table, who has uh, scored the most, or or you know what their true shooting is, and all those things like all in one place. So that's that's really nice as well. Uh, one thing that I really that I like about it the most is there's a metric in there that has been in, like impossible to find. The only thing that's uh, a little difficult for me is that you only see it when the player is actually listed for sale. Uh, but that metric is points allowed. One of the things I've said a couple times now is I, I can't really get to great um, defensive data on individual players, and he's been able to. So I, I think uh, there's some some stuff going on in the back, or he's got some extra data in the background that I would love to I would love to get my hands on. But um, that's the only place I, I know of right now where you can go and kind of get points allowed data on demand, and so that's, that's a great site as well. Also, there's a few other. Uh, creators that uh, have done a great job with their shows. Like, but but before before I get into that, I guess there, there's another. So user AD built a Discord server that you can uh, join and set your notifications so that every time a new player is listed, you can get notified of that. So um, and for instance, last night <laughs> I listed a player for two point two five soul. I went in about five seconds later to. Um, change it up to 2.75, right? Try to get a, try to get a, squeeze a little bit more out of it, and it was already gone. Like I have no doubt that the, whoever it was got a notification from uh, from AD's server and uh, snatched it up real real quick. 
Also, B-Town has a host a weekly Twitter show inside the VBA where he, sh- he drops some great knowledge and uh, basically shares what he- he's learned. Uh, I've, I've watched it now a few times. It's great stuff. And MJ Gaming and Prospect Hodel um, host another show called VBA Live, and they do a great job with theirs as well. So it's one of the coolest. It's one of the coolest parts about about VBA. Like there's there's a community there if you choose to be a part of it, and people are always willing to to help. And you know, there's been really no bad actors or anything like that. Like it's been it's been a really cool place. And uh, another cool thing about the community too. I've mentioned this in my earlier episodes, but like the the creators, right? The developers, the team at VBA are active in the community. They they get in there and they chat and they play the game too. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're in there, you know, disappointed when their players play, play poorly and, and all of those things. And that's been really cool as well. It's not, not like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a team of, of creators, right? People that want to make something fun and they're engaging in it. And, uh, it's, it's been great. So how do I set up my team? The first thing I do is I look at the composition of my own team. So I'm currently running two teams. Both of them are in competitive leagues. Uh, Alf, DN, Outlanders, and Alf, DN, Dunks. So Alf is just, Alf is the clan tag uh, that my buddy and I used some 10, 10 years ago or more in Call of Duty. He's also uh, playing in the VBA and runs the other two Alf teams. And DN is just for my, my tag, Dirk Nasty. So Alf, DN, those are my teams. Uh, while we do share a clan tag uh, and have lone players a time or two, there's really no overlap. Like his teams are his, my teams are mine. You know, we're not constantly shifting players back and forth or anything like that. With with my two teams, I, I sort of go back and forth like week to week in terms of trying to optimize both teams and also uh, ensuring that my number one team stays my number one team. Now I'm I'm I wouldn't say that I'm like one of I'm not, I'm certainly not one of the best managers in uh, the VBA. I don't have the best players uh, in VBA. I have some very good players, but there's certainly players that are like way better than some of the guys that I have. Uh, and I don't have a ton a ton of like I have some, but not a ton of flexibility. Um, but I have been fortunate enough to get to play against some of the some of the best. I've been in the the top league. Uh, in in the competitive division and I've, I've had some I guess I would say some success like I, I haven't been I've probably been about a 500 player against some of the best the best teams in the in the game um so I I sort of go back and forth trying to optimize both of my teams or ensuring my best team is my best team this week I decided to join the pay league again so I'm trying to make sure that I optimize that one first, make sure I, I don't lose my you know 0.55 soul uh investment and you know, that means that my second team has taken a little bit of a beating so far this week uh, while I, I kind of play the give and take game. So for my three initial packs, I was in VBA from uh, from way early on before we ever started playing games. I, I was I had three initial packs and in those three packs, I, w- I got two rares. So I also won an elite in a tr- Twitter contest before we started playing games. So I'd consider those three my, my best players. Personally, in my packs, I didn't receive many good defensive players. I don't think I got any versatile forwards or rim protectors. Got a few 3 and D guys, which I really uh, don't don't get the opportunity to play that much uh, in the current iteration of the game. But because I, I didn't get like high rarity, really good defensive players, like my team has almost always been fully offensive focused. So my best three players are an elite playmaking big, who is has a center uh, preference, so one position preference at center. I have a rare um, sh- uh, scoring guard that has a shooting guard preference, also a one position preference player, and then a rare fundamental big who is a power forward slash center. So there's some some definite issues to kind of work around with these three, and they all relate to, to flexibility in a few different ways. So two of these guys, the the center and the shooting guard, are one position preference guys. So if I let's just say I lock them in at their preferred position, there's only one other place for the fundamental big to go, and that's power forward. So I've got a shooting guard, power forward, center, um, locked in. Okay, so. 
at this point, I've got no real defense and I've got no outside shooting. So the, the scoring guard will take a couple of threes a game. I don't think he even makes like averages one made three per game. So no outside shooting, no defense focus. Because my two of my three best players are at power forward and center and are normally locked in, not always, but normally locked in, I can't really play a rim protector. So the majority of time, I do not play interior defense. I only have one rim protector. He's an underdog and uh, has been fairly poor since he came over to my team. Uh, maybe I just haven't found the right way to use him yet. But So the, the next thing to do is to work in some shooting. So I, I don't know that I'm really going to be able to get in into interior defense most of the time. So the, the least thing, the next best thing I think I could do is to work in some shooting into this. So outside shooting, I've got a special, oh, with the salary caps right now, I've got a special and an underdog to work with. So I've got two rares, one elite that, that leaves me with enough salary to fit in one special and one underdog. Now, I have a very strong offensive underguard, underdog shooting playmaker that's uh, point guard eligible. So I often run him at, at point guard. Um, and he, he is like incredibly high, true shooting. He's been very, very beatable on defense. So at times, I have just gotten spanked by an, another really good point guard. Often that's a rare or above. Uh, and he really, really struggles sometimes to defend, to defend those guys. But in general, as a third or fourth option on my offense, like he is incredibly efficient and puts up some really strong games and is a really great supporting player offensively. So my next, you know, if I lock him in, then a special small forward would be the, the next need. Now, at this point, I've got a fairly balanced offensive start. The shooting playmaker shoots threes. I've got a couple interior scores. I've got a really good uh, distributor at, as an elite uh, playmaking big. So I'm kind of at this point looking where I want my offense to be directed. In general, I want the majority of my shots going to those three guys. So the, the point guard, shooting guard, and power forward. Now, my fundamental big tends to have very, very high usage, which is good. He's, a, he's an excellent player. He's very, very good. Um, the shooting guard, he's a scoring guard, rare scoring guard. It's kind of in the middle to high uh, from a usage perspective. And the shooting playmaker, point guard underdog is kind of a middle middle usage guy so for my team i've generally found that it's best to use a low usage player uh, at small forward in order to allow the other guys to use their offensive advantage now i've got a few options for that um i've got a i've got two underdog small forward power forward eligible point forward archetype players and these, these guys are nice because they do a little bit of everything. They get rebounds, they get four to five assists, they can hit a few threes, and they can, they can score. I also have a special uh, shooting guard, small forward, versatile forward player. And I, he plays pretty good defense on in, inside scorers, and he'll get a few rebounds and a few assists, but he's, he's a poor scorer. Uh, I also have a stretch big who's an underdog, uh, small forward or slash power forward, and a special power forward stretch big. Um, both of these guys, you know, they hit threes and they get rebounds, but they don't they don't really get too many dimes. Um, so, in order to play the special, I have to play him out of position. I'll talk just briefly about that here in just a minute. But I also have another player who's a special uh, eligible at small forward and power forward, and he's a slasher. And it's nice to put a special there because it takes the salary to the max. And this guy is one of my, actually one of my favorite players and he's really very good. But my problem with him is he's a, he's a high usage guy and he doesn't shoot threes very well. So basically he's redundant with my other two best players, the rare scoring guard and the rare fundamental big and doesn't really add any dimension to, to the team that I don't already have when I've got these other guys locked in. So because of this, I normally have him relegated to the, the second team, uh, but I really, really do like him. Um, but, you know, knowing that I have options, I then kind of look at my opponent's likely defensive setup. So if I'm, if I'm trying to avoid having my fundamental big matched up on a versatile forward or brim protector, so if I need to, I'll play the elite playmaking big out of position at power forward and shift the fundamental big over um, to center where he has that preference. So I'm only playing one player out of, out of position. Uh, 
I sometimes even move the fundamental big down to a small forward if I if I have an opportunity to do that um, in order to put a stretch big, um, a special stretch big at power forward. And I'll do this if I'm playing against a, a single rim protector or versatile forward at the power forward spot, the four. Um, but, but let's say everything sets up pretty good. I've got my four guys locked in, my, my point guard, shooting guard, power forward, and center. Um, the next thing I'm looking at is basically, is the opponent likely to play an inside scorer at the small forward position? So a slasher or scoring guard, fundamental big, or post-scoring big even. If so, I'm generally going to go with the versatile forward there. Uh, however, if they're likely to play someone else, often we see versatile forwards from opponents uh, and in the small forward position, um, then I'll probably just play the point forward just because he's, in, in this case, he's the fourth best scoring option on my team. So going against a versatile forward, if he, you know, he's probably not going to take that many shots anyway. And he also does other things like unlock the other players as well. So that's that's generally the, you know, my basic setup for my main team. There are some variations. And the biggest one, of course, is if I'm playing against an interior defense. If I think the opponent is even somewhat likely to use interior defense, I'm trying to figure out, like, how can I get out of using my rare scoring guard or rare fundamental big? And this almost always starts with playing the stretch, a special stretch big at, at the four, at the, at the power forward position. Now it becomes difficult if, um, it, it can become difficult because he's only one position eligible. My play, my playmaking big is only one position eligible. So I can't really flip flop them, you know, to center and power forward, for instance, otherwise I'll be to, playing two, um, two players out of position. And I don't like to do that. So, what I'm looking at next is like, how can I get even more shooting, right? One that's that's the special, special stretch big I'm bringing in and trying to bring in a pure shooter, you know, either at the small forward position or at the point guard position, replacing my um, shooting playmaker. So from, from talking about out of position, from time to time, if the situation calls for it, I'm okay playing one player, one position away from its preference. So for instance, if the opponent has a really good slasher at, at point guard, for instance, I might put in my shooting guard eligible versatile forward at the point point guard position or i might sometimes move the playmaking big who's only center eligible at over to power forward but i will never use two players out of position and i never go more than one position away from a, a preference there's been some evidence that this is <clears throat> kind of the the right way to go there there has been some uh Changes from the dev team, right, to ensure that, you know, playing players out of position, especially a lot of them, is really kind of hurts their performance. I have found that in general, if the situation calls for it, it can be useful to play at least one or no more than one player out of position. Sometimes that's the rare scoring guard, especially if I'm going against a, a really good defensive player or something like that. I, I might move them up to the small forward or, or something. Now, on my team, I actually do have two other rare players who I've bought on the open market. One is a rare small forward, power forward eligible offensive wing. Most people don't use offensive wings or don't, don't like to use them, and for good reason. They have fairly low usage, their efficiency is kind of middling, and they really don't do much else. They don't, they don't get assists, they're not incredible defenders, uh, at least in my experience. But for my team, my personal experience is that he actually makes a pretty good piece since I don't normally have to rely on him to, to shoulder any kind of scoring load. He chips in 14 to, to 18 or so. And I have found at least that, my, that mine, you know, being a, a rare offensive wing is pretty resilient to versatile forwards. So sometimes he's a really good matchup um, if I want to stay fully offensive and I can, I can even run him against a versatile forward. He doesn't rebound rebound very well, so I, I tend not to play him at the power forward position and, and just kind of keep him at the small forward. Um, but I, I did wish that he rebounded more or, you know, got some assists or did something other than shoot fairly efficiently, not very often each game. <laughs> um, but for my, for my team, I've actually been able to work him in pretty well, I think. I also just added a rare pure shooter shooting guard slash small forward. And I think this really helps some solve some of my flexibility and outside shooting issues as well. He's actually going to be playing his first game here in about two hours with my team. 
so I can't really comment on how well it's working, but um, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I recently sold a rare pure shooter who was only eligible at the shooting guard position, which was redundant with my scoring guard. Um, and I spent a, a couple more, basically sold another player or two to get up to the two position eligible player. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how this works uh, with my team. Now, one of the major holes in my entire player pool is I don't, I don't have a single pass-first guard. So if I want playmaking, it's from an elite playmaking big, a special playmaking big, and I've also got two underdog point forwards. I, I also have two versatile forwards as well. Um, mine, especially after the, the nerf recently, don't, don't tend to get a lot of assists, and I haven't really felt good enough to run them as the primary playmakers alone. I'm not really sure that playing my point forwards as primary playmakers really makes much sense either. I've definitely seen some teams able to do this very successfully, but generally that's with higher rarity point, point forwards, so like rares, elites, and so on. Um, I don't have that. I've got two underdogs, and they're really good, especially when I can use them as the third or fourth best players on my team that unlock the other guys. Uh, but as the sole uh, playmakers, at least in an offensive build, I'm... I'm not quite sold on them, although I've been doing it a little bit, especially on my second team lately. Um, but since I don't have any high rarity defensive specialists, all of mine are terrible offensive players. So to the point of being like destructive, I've because of this, like I've really normally found that it's just not worth the hit on offense to hold the other team down, except in the instance where I can do it in a way where I'm not like really expecting to get many shots out of them. So if, if they're two of twelve in a game. Uh, it, it kind of doesn't really matter how much he hinders his opponent. Like two of that's that's hurting my my offense, and I'm not sure I'm getting that much more value on the defensive end. Now I'm I'm okay with this maybe against interior defense teams, especially if they also use a pass first guard, since it's really difficult to work in a playmaking big and interior defense. Often you'll see it with um, you know a versatile forward, a rim protector, and a pass first guard. In that case, I mean, generally, like my, I think of that as my, my opponent has three players that are not really expected to be significant scorers. Some pass first guards can be really strong scorers, um, especially higher rarity ones I've seen. Um, but in general, that's three players that I don't expect to be significant scorers on the, on the team. And I, I just kind of feel like I can plan for their scores a little bit better. And and since I am often playing a playmaking big myself, and I don't consider him a good scorer, uh, I'm generally okay with letting my four good scorers go up against their two, right? Even if that means, especially if that means, I'm sorry, especially if I can get my playmaking big onto one of their um, two defensive players, the, the versatile forward or, or rim protector. I kind of feel like that gives me an advantage by going all offense against the interior defense team. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes that, you know, I lose, but uh, that's be, I just don't really have the flexibility to counter that um, too, too well with a, with an interior defensive team of my own. Um, so I just tend to go all offense or almost all off all offense. And because of my setup, like the players that I have, the way I'm thinking about putting my teams together, I'm just more likely to go all offense. My main playmaking big is an elite, and his usage is actually higher than I'd prefer. Like he takes something like something something like 14 shots shots a game, and his true shooting percentage, not shooting percentage, true shooting percentage is only 38%, so it's quite poor. I've noticed that when I play him with a point forward or a versatile forward, he tends to shoot a little bit better. But when paired with the point forward, he also shoots less as well. So generally, like if I, especially if I had a special point forward, that would be my ideal setup. I don't have one. Um, so I'm either leaving $1,000 on the table um, in terms of salary cap or I'm, you know, playing a, a, a versatile forward there. So that's that's like a peek into how I set up my team and how I'm thinking about it. Like one of the big things that I that I'm really considering is where are my shots going to come from? Where do I want my shots to come from? Since I'm playing, since I'm I'm less focused on reacting to my opponent. I mean, I definitely definitely do make lineup changes and stuff based on my opponent, but generally, I'm I'm more focused on like how I can outscore them than how I can hold them. 
Although if I can do that with my fourth or fifth player, then that's certainly something that I consider and do employ. But generally it's where are my shots coming from? Uh, how, how will they be defended? And where do I want my shots to come from? So, you know, if I, if they're hundred percent likely to play a versatile forward or rim protector at the power forward spot, I'm either trying to find another place for my fundamental big to go. He's my best player, my highest usage player. Um, or I'm trying to figure out, you know, is there an, uh, a substitute that I can use there, play the stretch big and, and readjust my team and so on. But generally it's, I'm thinking more offensively just because I don't have the tools to, to play a, a strong defensive setup. I'm just trying to figure out like, how can I outscore the teams? I will say at least at, in, at right now, that it can be helpful in terms of standings because currently the tiebreaker is point scored, not um, not point differential. Um, so I think you know going all offense can be can be useful for me as well, just because I tend to have a higher a higher scoring team. Uh, that means that you know when when it's kind of crunch time, I get to a point where I can. I will have a lot of points scored normally towards the top of my of my division. But yeah, that's a general general at least thinking of my own setup. Like a lot of it starts with just the players that I have. Like I, I mentioned, I've done some buying and selling, not a ton. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just trying to think: who are my players? Where are they best suited? How how might they be defended, and how can I counter that? Um, but I'm often thinking less about how I can defend and more about how I can outscore. That's just my own personal mindset. And it's, it's 100% set up by the players that I have at my disposal.